Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, the editor covering menu, food, and drink for both brands. Today, I'm sitting down with Shane Shively, Vice President of Culinary Strategy for First Watch, the expanding full-service breakfast and brunch chain. Chef Shively has worked in the industry since he was 14, riding his bike to his first job as a busboy. He came to First Watch with the goal of pushing the envelope on the culinary side. Listen as he talks about introducing ideas that are evolving the brand and setting the chain apart in the breakfast and brunch sector. Welcome, Shane. Thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Pat. So let's start by telling me a bit about your culinary journey. What was your motivation for becoming a chef and what were the steps along the way that brought you to First Watch? Yeah, you know, I, I've been in the industry since I was 14 years old. You know, back then um, you were allowed to work at that age. Uh, and, and really it, it was just born out of convenience. Um, I had a, a restaurant that was within bike riding distance from my house that, that, I, was, you know, that I grew up in. And uh, I got in a little bit of trouble with my mom and she basically said, you're grounded unless you get a job. Yeah. And, uh, and my solution to that was to get on my bike and find the closest place that would hire me, <laughs> uh, which happened to be a traditional German restaurant. Uh, I mean, the chef was, was, was right off the boat and, and uh, very German, very loud. Uh, he used to drink Beck's beer by the pitcher uh, while he was working on the line. And, I don't know. I just I just fell in love with the industry at that early age. Um, the 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 sense of family and camaraderie and and pace, like the speed at which we were putting out food and, and I don't know. I think just seeing the customer smile and, and really enjoying the things that we were making was was awesome to me. I, I hadn't I'd never had something like evoke these these emotions or these feelings in me, uh, you know, up until that point in life. And um, so I, I continued working there as you know basically bottom of the totem pole, right? Busboy and, and bar back. Um, eventually, you know, decided, hey, I really want to go to culinary school. Um, you know, both of my parents were a little bit against it in, in the beginning. Um, and I ended up going off to, to quote unquote real college. First, um, I had a full academic scholarship to, uh, to Auburn University in Alabama. I went there and, and had a great time, but I really wanted to work in restaurants. So I came back home after my first year and, and basically told my parents like, hey, uh, I, I want to go to culinary school. I don't like college. And uh, they effectively said, you, you spent all the money we had saved for you. So, you know, do whatever you want. And I reached out to, to a recruiter from Johnson Wales, who's still a really great friend of mine to this day. And I basically asked her, I said, hey, you know, I, I've been in the industry since I was 14. I really want to go to culinary school. I have no money. And she said, no big deal. Here's what you need to do. You know, write these letters, um, fill out this, these forms. And, and I got you know, scholarship money and, and financial assistance. And I was on my way to, to Miami and, and I went to the North Miami campus of Johnson and Wales. I uh, worked at the Ritz Carlton on South Beach as my externship and then stayed on after my, my externship as an employee. And uh, eventually came back to Tampa and worked at a fine dining restaurant here in Tampa called Cafe Pont um, and really started to, to hone those skills um, as, as a, a line cook at, at that point, um, but knew that, that I, was, I was destined for more. Um, and I eventually worked my way all the way up and became catering chef and sous chef at that concept. But um, 
I, I entered the corporate world at 25 years old, uh, had a great opportunity to work for the melting pot, uh, you know, front burner brands at that point, and uh, I stayed there for about seven years. And I, I, at the end of it, we were operating 150 restaurants in, in five different countries. And I had a great opportunity to travel the world and, and really start to understand supply chain and how you get food and, and everything else to so many restaurants across the country. And I, that really intrigued me. Like I, I love that part of the business. It's super interesting and, and a daunting task on the surface, but once you get into the details and start to understand it, like I, I really do enjoy balancing the fun, exciting culinary stuff with the business stuff. I like the numbers still, you know, I, I was a great student in school and, and I love that side of the business. So. Well, it sounds like you're very well-rounded and perfect for the job you have now at First Watch. So yeah. what, Thank you. what did you hope to bring to First Watch when you were first hired as corporate chef? Yeah, you, you know, when I was asked about, basically in, in my interview with, with Chris Tommaso, who's, who's now our, our president and CEO, he said, what do you know about the brand? And I, I said, I know it's where my grandma takes me for breakfast. And that was true. And at that point, you know, about, about seven years ago, you know, First Watch um, was a very different concept than it is today. And we had always been known for really, really great service. And our food was, our food was fantastic. It was, it was great. But I wouldn't say it was like pushing the envelope on the, on the culinary side at all. And I had this opportunity in front of me to go and be part of really changing a brand and, and evolving a brand. I don't think I wouldn't say changing, evolving. And, you know, Chris showed me a drawing on his phone and it hadn't even been built yet. And it was a restaurant that basically looks, you know, similar to the restaurant you see in the background here. Um, it, it, it was the design that you see, you know, first watches being built like today. And it was so cool and different and exciting. And, and he basically said, you know, we're, we're always been known for our service. We're going to change our decor and our, our our design of the exterior, and we really want someone to come in and, and help bring the food up to that same level. And and you know that's that's what I was brought here to do. And that that really, like that one lunch, I'll, I mean, I'll never ever forget sitting there with him and having this discussion because I, frankly, I, I didn't really have a lot of intentions of of coming to a breakfast place. It, it wasn't on my radar. Um, but this opportunity really made it fun and, and exciting. And, and Chris is a great guy and, and been a great friend and mentor to me over the years. So uh, it all just fell into place. Did he take you to lunch at one of the first watch locations or somewhere else? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We met at a first. Yeah, we met at a first watch um, by my old office, mm -hmm. and, uh, and you know that particular first watch has a very, very special place in my heart. Uh, I, in fact, one of my one of my good friends growing up, and, and I went to high school with is actually the general manager of that restaurant today. So I know he's taking good care of it, but yeah, it's just, it was great. It was great. So what excites you about creating menu items for a breakfast lunch concept? Uh, you know, what's, what's cool about breakfast is breakfast is cool again. And, and breakfast and brunch are fun and exciting. And there's so much buzz around this day part um, to be, you know, by, by some accounts at the forefront of that development and, and really being able to push the envelope and look around and see what's going on in other brands and see all the independent restaurants, all the chef-driven concepts. You know, I think it kind of it feels like it happened right about the same time that I got to First Watch, but you had chefs breaking off from, from 
really high-end fine dining, like $50 per person average places and doing breakfast because it's fun and you're in there already prepping anyway. Like why not open a window and, and, and sell some breakfast tacos out of it or, or whatever. And that, that just, it was really, really fun for me to, to learn that, that part of the business. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that, you know, in the, in the quote unquote chain restaurant world, just because you have a lot of restaurants doesn't mean that you shouldn't be pushing the envelope from, from a culinary perspective. And if you trust in your teams and they have the ability and then they're capable of doing great things with food, like wh why not let them be free and give them some really cool fun dishes to work with. I think that's one of the most exciting things about my job is creating dishes and working with our team to put things out there that you would never expect to come from a, you know, a restaurant group with 400 restaurants. It just doesn't seem to be the way of the world or hasn't been in the past. So what are some of the new items that you brought to the menu and how do you balance them with like things that your grandma might have, you know, like <laughs> why she goes to first watch? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the exciting thing about our brand is we've been around for over 35 years, right? So we had this amazing baseline and, and some real brand favorites out there that would be considered classics, you know, from a breakfast standpoint. Of course, we have pancakes and waffles and, and omelets and, and that sort of thing. So like you have to respect the past and, and the history of a brand. So my goal wasn't to come here and scratch everything and just do all this crazy weird culinary stuff. It was really like embrace the past, but also let's like peek over the edge of, of the cliff a little bit and see what's what's out there. And can we execute these things? So um, early on, you know, things that, that stick out for me that I'm super proud of, uh, our, our fresh juice program, is is you know second to none i'll put it up against any juice shop that's out there in the world and you know that was a really fun project to work on and it was one of those things that you know we had seen it in independent restaurants and it was starting to to kind of take form you know early on like seven years ago for me and when you looked at that and said can you can we at that point we had 150 restaurants can we do this in 150 restaurants because no one was. And I thought, yeah, absolutely we can. We just have to be really sound in the way we write our recipes and, and take all of the guesswork out of it and all the variables out of it and just make it as, as streamlined as possible while still delivering an experience that was unique. And that's that's how Fresh Juice was born. And um, I, I, I'm smiling, you can't <laughs> probably see that since you're listening, but it, it's one of those things that um, no one else has really been able to replicate. And I'm super proud of that. And you know, we have, over 400 restaurants across the country every single morning they get in those restaurants and they're juicing fresh fuji apples english cucumbers kale turmeric beets plus whatever's in season right i mean we've juiced watermelon and pineapple blueberries strawberries and really frankly anything i could put in that juicer i put in it just to see what happens um but that's that's cool and that that was really fun and one of the things that you know drove me early on because we had our organization had the appetite to try things like that. Mm -hmm. And that was cool. And that was so different than what I'd heard from, you know, my, my peers and my friends in the industry who are working for other really big brands. You know, they have a, they have a really hard time getting finance to accept the new idea or operations to embrace it or marketing even to get behind it. And here it just felt like everyone, they were hungry for that. I mean, our, our founder, Ken Pendry was one of the, you know, early on, pushing me all the time, like, how soon, why isn't it rolled out yet? How soon can we do it? You know, and he was so hungry for that, that evolution, that, that just, it really made my, my life 
and my job a lot easier to know that you have that support and that everyone is hungry for this innovation. Right. And as far as the food side of the menu goes, what are some mm -hmm. of the proudest stuff on that side? I know you introduced avocado toast as one of, you know, one, mm -hmm. one of the first chains to do that. And that was pretty revolutionary at the time. It's crazy to think about it's, I, you know, I laugh all the time when, when people talk about it. It's such a simple dish, right? Um, it's avocado, lemon, seasoning on top of toast but yeah wow what a what a trend and, and what a what a crazy ride that dish has been on but yeah we introduced avocado toast back in january of 2015. so that that's how early we were um in that trend and really you're only seeing it at independent restaurants at that point so yeah super proud of avo toast and it, it still is in our top five of of uh sales dishes of all time it, it'll never probably drop out of the top five that started as an LTO and, and you know, our, our LTO program and our seasonal menu program is another thing that I was brought on board to really like accelerate and see how far we could, we could push it. So in that same realm, things like Aboto started as an LTO. We don't know, do our, are our customers ready for this? And we, we peppered them in throughout the years in, in LTOs. And so that's, that's a big one. Uh, quinoa is another one, you know, we're, we're certainly one of the first chains to put quinoa on the menu back in like 2013. Um, and then we won a Menu Masters Award, you know, the following year in 2014 for, for it, um, which was great. And we just kind of followed down that path. And, you know, there's been some awesome LTOs over the years. Uh, my favorite of all time is a Lote street corn hash, um, which I love a Lote. Uh, I, I love, I'll order it no matter where I am <laughs> in the world. I want to see that dish. And for us to make it into a hash just seemed like a, a natural fit we put some chorizo in there as the protein and served it with tortillas and like at that point you know that was very very different for us to not serve a hash with toast like we were, we were pretty regimented you know certain dishes were served with certain sides and that's just the way it went and so to roll out a dish that was so just different was really encouraging and, and it, it killed it in sales um, the customers really embraced it the teams embraced it I mean we were bringing in you know, fresh, sweet summer corn whole on the cob, roasting it in house, cutting it off the cob. And like the discussions that happen in, in, in every chain restaurant organization happened. Hey, can we just, you know, buy corn, IQF corn? Can we buy corn that's already been roasted? And it, and it you know, I enjoy those conversations because I want to taste, I want people to taste like, yes, we can do that. And it will probably cost a little bit less money, but let's taste these two things side by side and decide as a brand how we want to position ourselves. And, you know, again, I'm very thankful that our leadership decided <laughs> it fresh is better. And, and we really hang our hat on the amount of fresh produce that we bring in the door um, four times a week into every one of our restaurants. Like that's a big deal for us. So um, super proud of, of that one. There's been some really fun pancakes over the years, some healthy, you know, we'll say quote unquote, healthy leaning pancakes. We would try to mix things up. Like we have, a, we had a, we ran a lemon blueberry uh, quinoa pancakes. Mm. So those things normally shouldn't go together. Why would you put quinoa on a pancake? Well, when you do that and you flip that pancake and sear it on the griddle, that quinoa gets this like really nice brown color and like brings out the nuttiness of that ingredient. And the lemon, obviously, and the blueberries kind of balance that out a little bit. But, you know, that was a really good one. We did uh, super seed protein pancakes where we put some cottage cheese in the batter and, it, it, you know, really up the, the protein count on that one, served it with almond butter. But it's like all these little fun 
ways to kind of push buttons and like things that people aren't used to or haven't seen before in a, in a large scale restaurant. Like that's, that's what I want to be. I, I always say I, I treat first watch as if we had one or two of them and, and my friends and I were running these restaurants and, and, and really that's what I want to do. And if I'm doing my job right, I should be able to source whatever products I need. I have you know, great partners and great resources and distributors out there. So um, I love that part of the job. Yeah, you sound really motivated. It's exciting to talk to you. <laughs> Thank so, you. you know, you um, talked about the Fresh Juice program, but you're also working on a cocktail program now. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, w it was going to be a secret, but uh, but I, I, I actually <laughs> I approved a press release the other day for it. So I think we're going to start making that news public. But yeah, we about three years ago, we embarked on on the, the natural journey um, of any breakfast and brunch restaurant to explore alcohol. And, you know, for us, at, at one point, our, I believe our founder is the one who said it and, and his quote was, we will never serve alcohol at first watch. We're a family restaurant. We're not that kind of place. And that that was the mentality for many, many years. And then something changed. And maybe it was the independent restaurants getting into the game. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but I know that drinking at breakfast and brunch became acceptable. And when it became acceptable, no one even thought about turning back. It, it was all forward from there. And it took a little, a little bit of work on our part to figure out the right way to do it um, for our brand. And, you know, we don't have bars. Um, at, at that point, three years ago, we didn't have bars. We, we built one restaurant in Jacksonville with a bar. I, I, I went up there, I lived there for three or four weeks, opened that restaurant personally. Uh, it was October of 2017, I'll never forget. <laughs> and the consumer, like, excitement and, and buzz about the fact that First Watch had mimosas and, and Bloody Marys was was crazy and people were so excited about it. And, you know, that really, pretty much from after the first few months of that restaurant being open, we sat down and said, all right, how, how can we do this at scale? Um, without building bars and, you know, we weren't going to go back and retrofit at that point, whatever, 200 something restaurants, we're going to go back and retrofit them. So how can we build a program that will work in restaurants where we do have a physical bar, but we'll also be able to work in restaurants um, that didn't. And that's where the idea of, of these, these batched or bottled cocktails, um, you know, really came from. And, and so we, we have five, five cocktails on our menu. Um, each one of them is served in like an individual little swing top bottle. We bring it out to the customer with a, a, a cocktail glass with ice and, and pour half the bottle in there and give it to the customer and they have, you know, basically they feel like they're getting a two for one deal. Um, but it, it, it creates some action and creates some excitement at the table and, and a little bit of, you know, anything that's interactive for the consumer obviously is a, a huge success. So um, really proud of how that one's going. We have uh, our Bloody Mary is, is a, you know, pretty signature for us. It's a million dollar Bloody Mary. So we use our million dollar bacon, uh, a slice of it as the garnish. Um, it's just cool like it, it's it's fun and we want it to be fun and different and I, I didn't want to free pour anything and I didn't want the servers to have to open a bottle of champagne and, and, and measure things out like you know we all know if the, the, the least amount of work a server has to do to sell a dish they're, they're gonna sell that one and right. the more work that they have to put in <laughs> they're not pushing that dish that's for sure um, so yeah, we're, we're really we're really proud of the program. It's done quite well. We have uh, 
um, kind of like a, a pomegranate margarita on there, um, uh, Morning Glory, which is basically uh, kind of a play on a screwdriver, but we're using our fresh juices. So the turmeric, um, lemon, and orange, and ginger in there with vodka. And then we also use our, our fresh kale tonic with vodka in it as well. So there's a vodka kale tonic. Um, and then one that's that's probably the most fun out of all of them is is called cinnamon toast cereal milk, Ooh. and uh, <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's coconut rum, um, coconut milk, a little bit of agave, and some cold brew coffee. And it's it's like this. It's basically the milk after you eat cinnamon toast crunch, but with rum in it. Uh, so again, that that's a that's a fun one. And you know, along the way, we've tested a lot of things. I mean, we we tried wine, red wine, and white wine, and um, we've tried kombucha and local craft beer and over these last three years really started to hone that program in and, and figure out what works for us and what our customer is looking for during that day part and you know i think it's probably no surprise right bloody mary's and mimosas are are the top two sellers um but having these other little things just felt really first watch to us mm -hmm. and, and we wanted to do things that no one had seen before from a chain and and really things that made us stand out and that's how this program was born. And now we're in, oh, today we're in 120 restaurants. We'll add 50, five zero more by the end of this year. So we'll be about 170 by the end of this year. And then next year we'll expand to another 150 of our locations. So uh, it's, a, it's a big project and, and I'm managing that project as well, but acquiring liquor licenses in, in you know, 30, however many states and, and all the local municipalities that you have to deal with and learn about and all the different restrictions it's a it's a wild world out there uh, on the alcohol side, but I love it and 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 I'm certainly embracing it. I know our teams, they're just so excited and the buzz starting, no pun intended, starting to spread throughout our system. You know, servers and 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 managers want to know when when are we going to get it? When are we going to get it next? So that's cool for me. That's awesome when they're excited about something and they're hungry for it. Well, it's especially relevant now because so many people are doing bottle cocktails like to go and, you know, in their restaurants because of the pandemic. So it makes a lot yep. of sense. It worked out perfectly. Perfect timing. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so during, let's, you know, we started talking about the pandemic a little bit. So you mentioned um, earlier that you sort of pivoted to takeout and delivery during the pandemic when your restaurants were closed. Are you still doing a lot of takeout and delivery? Yes, yes, definitely. So I'd say our, our off-premise sales quadrupled, um, you know, and you're looking at post-COVID numbers. So that's a big, big increase for us. Um, you know, basically when, when everything shut down, we were just testing with Uber Eats and we had to go where you call the restaurant and, and you know, pick it up, that sort of thing. But in the matter of, and we had a plan, we had a nine month plan where we were gonna roll out several platforms and we were gonna turn on uh, you know, app ordering and online ordering and all these other things. We basically accelerated and, and compressed that timeline and did it all in about four days. And so within four days, we went from testing Uber Eats in 50 restaurants to essentially rolling our entire system on Uber Eats and DoorDash and then turning on uh, firstwatch.com ordering and then uh, ordering via our app. So all of that happened very, very quickly. Um, we're very thankful that we did it. Obviously it was the right move for us and, and the consumer wanted it and, and they were ready to explore, <clears throat> excuse me, explore using First Watch in that manner. Um, so for us, it, it, was, it was a home run and 
I, I just I giggle about it now because you know our IT team and our marketing team they they work round the clock to make this thing happen, and now it's in the hands of the restaurants, and, and it's and it's up to us in, in operations to really make sure that we carry that torch and, and ensure that this is a successful program for us moving forward. So did you have to adapt any of the me menu items to make them better for traveling, for delivery and for go? We, I wouldn't say we changed the menu items. I think we changed the packaging more. We, we I mean, <laughs> early on, we, we made every single dish. We put it in a package, we set it on a table and we tempted and tasted it at 15 minute increments all the way into like an hour and a half, just to like, where's the line? You know, how, how long can these things survive? Yeah. And, you know, I won't be the first to say it. Yeah, I won't be the first to say it. Many, many, you know, restaurateurs out there realize that the customer is giving a little bit of leeway when they order something to go, right? And they are almost taking, taking their expectations down a notch. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to play into that too much. Like we still wanted our food to perform and to look beautiful. So the way we plate things is is the way we plate things to go. We want to make sure that the garnishes are all there, that it looks as beautiful. We talk about this thing called Instagrammable, right? So every one of our dishes needs to be Instagrammable because that's how the world is eating today, right? Yeah. Take a picture first and then take a bite. And so we wanted to make sure that that translated uh, into off premise. So when you you know you get a, a dish delivered from first watch when you open the lid or, or not even open the lid, look through that clear lid, it should be absolutely beautiful, just like as if you got it in the restaurant. And so we worked real hard with our teams to understand the importance of that. And I think, you know, what's happened in these last seven, 10 months, whatever it is, um, has really accelerated that, that platform in general. Mm -hmm. But it's also allowed our teams to understand the importance of making sure every single dish looks picture perfect every time. Mm -hmm. Well, eggs are a little tricky to, you know, pack up to go. I mean, they can be like an eggs Benedict can get really hard in transit. So yeah, so the Benedicts are the one that we do not offer via delivery wow. <laughs> for that exact reason. Uh, you can still order them online if you if you want them. But again, you know, we we learned rather quickly the shift in PMix. Like the customer's smart, um, sometimes smarter than 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 we give them credit for. And they know that if they're a Benedict person, probably ordering a Benedict is not ordering a Benedict to go is not the way, you know, to get the best dish possible. So we found that, you know, Benedicts or egg dishes in general, like where you have over easy eggs or, or sunny side up eggs, those almost started to decline and make room for, for other things. Avocado toast went, went through the roof. Um, mm -hmm. Our hash have done really, really well for us in, in off premise. And you just saw a little bit of a shift. Pancakes, waffles, fantastic. Um, you know, again, through the roof from a sales perspective. So the ones that travel well, I think it's almost like the customer knows and they manage their own expectations. And the ones that don't travel well, they, they kind of naturally fell off, which is, which is perfect for us. Well, during the pandemic, you uh, focused on developing menus and LTOs that were going to launch in 2021 instead of 2020. So why was that a smart strategy for First Watch? <laughs> um, early on, there was so much uncertainty, right? Oh. And we, we, I mean, we didn't know how long this was going to last. We didn't know who was going to survive, who wasn't from a, from a restaurant, you know, staying open standpoint. Um, we were really concerned about our employees. Um, you know, there was a lot of really serious discussions that were happening in those 
those early months. And for us, when you looked at the overall package or the overall concept of the brand, when we heard or knew that we were going to be okay and that we were going to make it through this, we, you know, I sat down with Chris and said, all right, are we going to be good? He said, yes. And from then on, it was, okay, let's shift our focus and not so much, you know, I, I wasn't worrying so much about the past and what was happening within the four walls. Operations had it handled. Our team is amazing. They really did a fantastic job. QA Food Safety did their part. I shifted my focus and said, okay, how can we get ready for whenever it happens, we can turn the switches back on. And that's where the LTO thought process came. I didn't want us to, I didn't want to continue rolling LTOs through the summer of 2020. That was, you know, we had a full LTO pipeline. I mean, we're, we're a year out in, in LTO planning. Um, I'm very proud of that. We do a great job testing and understanding what's coming next. But I wanted to put a, you know, push pause on that. Mm -hmm. And in a couple dishes, we brought back some fan favorites. We brought back a, a carnitas breakfast burrito and a, a loaded smoked salmon bagel, which are easy to execute. They travel really well. They look fantastic. Uh, minimal amount of new ingredients. So that was the focus. Let's do these things. We already know how to do them. We know how to do them really well. And let's make those our, our quote unquote LTOs for the year. And we ran a watermelon a fresh, it's called watermelon wake up. It's one of our fresh juices. And that, you know, absolutely did wonderfully uh, this summer. And it really was about, okay, we've basically pushed pause on the LTO schedule. Let's run these fan favorites. And then I shifted my focus to 2021. And said how, when we get back in, you know, in, in 21, what can we be ready with? And we did a little bit of, you know, a little bit of uh, R&D, played around with some recipes and basically took the entire block that we were gonna run in 2020, shifted it over a year. We're gonna pretend like 2020 didn't happen. And starting in January, we're gonna get right back into our, our, our LTO schedule. And, you know, I'm, I'm super happy. We actually just had the photo shoot uh, this past Monday. And just to see the food, again in that light and to be taking photos of it and, and knowing that it's going to go nationwide like that is comforting in its own regard for me but i know again our teams are really really hungry like they're excited for it they want they want this they expect a, a new menu to roll out every 10 weeks like clockwork because that's what they've always known from us and so to get back in that that normal cadence is is really going to be awesome um, the alcohol program was another one we shifted focus and said, hey, what's it going to take for us to, you know, kind of take this quote unquote downtime and really accelerate that program and how quickly can we stand it up in as many restaurants as possible. Uh, there was some investment obviously that needed to be done and, you know, finance stepped up to the plate and said, hey, we're, we're ready. Here's what you guys can do this year and let's plan for 2021 um, next year. So I'm very thankful that, that, I'm, that I'm in this position and that as a brand, we're able to do these things because I think getting back to normal helps everyone it helps me it helps our, our our servers and our cooks and our managers and it helps our customers and they they've come to expect seasonal things from first watch and i think maybe not having them caused them a little bit of pause so um but we you know to be fair we we did bring back pumpkin pancakes this year during the fall and we're running cinnamon chip pancakes for the for the holiday season so they get they get a little taste of it but we'll be back in full swing starting in january of next year well, can you reveal what the ones that are coming out in January are, or you know, maybe just the flavors or ingredients that you're playing around with? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'll I'll, I'll tell you the whole menu. <laughs> um, so, to, to play on our early conversation, one of the dishes is called crab avocado toast, mm. 
And when you think about those two things together, you, you know, your mind might not make that connection, but think about it as like a, a really nice cold crab salad. So we're using awesome back fin uh, blue crab meat with some lemon zest and a little bit of lemon juice in there and some fresh herbs. And it's basically going right on top of our, our avocado toast as it exists today. Uh, some house pickled red onions on top. Like it's a very vibrant and beautiful dish. Um, I'm super proud of them. Uh, it tested extremely well. I'm, I'm really happy to see it go nationwide here in January. But it's one of those things that <laughs> it's just different. You know, you don't see those things together in a lot of places. And you certainly don't see those things together in, in chain restaurants. So it's, it's just the little details, right? Those house pickled red onions. We're using the beet juice that we juice fresh every day to give it that like neon pink color. Just really, really pretty and the flavor profile is fantastic and, and it's one of those things like I, I can't wait for it to get nationwide so um that's the first dish the second one is called something i choose because it sounds it has all the things i love yeah and the photography is beautiful you'll, you'll be drawn in as soon as you walk into the restaurant to that one um another dish is called huevos rancheros tostadas um which I, you know i love huevos rancheros it's 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 a, a perfectly well-rounded dish for me except for the texture and you know the way that that we just come up with fixing that texture issue is by putting it on tostada shells so you have like these big tortilla chips basically and you've got our, our avocado mash on there some chorizo salsa verde cotija cheese fresh cilantro two eggs uh served with black beans on the side as opposed to being part of the build and um again it's, it's, it's fun like it's a fun little bit different take on on a classic dish um, but we ran that one, I don't even know, three years ago, maybe something like that. And, uh, and it was successful then. And I think it's going to be a, a real hit um, mm -hmm. this time around. As well. And then the third dish is, is acai bowl. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for us, I had been wanting to do an acai bowl for a really long time. And, in you know, in the beginning, you could only find them in bowl shops and kiosks and things like that. Mm -hmm. So to have a, a casual dining restaurant, pull it off was a challenge in and of itself. Um, we have great partners in, in Sambazon, um, you know, I would say the, certainly the front runner in the acai game, not only from a retail standpoint, but from food service as well. So we're using Sambazon acai, we're, we're making an acai bowl with, with three different berries. So strawberry, um, blackberry and blueberry on top with our house made granola um, and serving it with our, our whole grain artisan toast with some almond butter and, and Maldon sea salt on top. Basically, you know, it's like a it's like a grown up peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's delicious and it, and it's refreshing and it's healthy and you know, like my kids say, like oh, it's basically just eating dessert for breakfast and no one gets mad at you for it. <laughs> so yeah, super happy about that and and uh, you know, for us, jump start. We call our January or uh, LTO jump start, and it's always been about jump starting the year. And while most other brands are, you know, it's winter everywhere, right? Snowing and cold. And while most brands are going for that, like, heavier, hearty, wintry dishes, a lot of, like, braised meats and things like that, we've always wanted to do the opposite and, and bring out fresh and, and bright, vibrant, lighter, you know, flavor profiles. And, and that's exactly what this menu does. So I'm, um, I'm really happy to see it roll out here in uh, the first week of January. Um, the fresh juice is also something very, very special. Um, it's called Purple Haze. Mm. And we make like a lavender lemonade um, as the base. 
And then on top, we're going to bring in uh, butterfly pea flowers um, from Thailand. That absolutely beautiful, vibrant blue color. We're gonna make a tea out of it. And we're going to put that on the top of, of the juice. So you have this yellow lemonade underneath. And then you put that bright blue tea on top of it. And as it hits the acid in the lemon juice, it turns the entire thing purple. So as you start to sip it or stir it with your, with your spoon or your straw, it really starts to incorporate that color and the whole entire thing becomes purple. So again, interactive, it's fun. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a hit on Instagram um, with all the kids. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's gonna be a good, it's gonna be a good LTO menu. Yeah, it, it sounds really sophisticated. I'm really impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So as we get into 2021, what are you most looking forward to? Are you looking forward to eating something in a restaurant that you haven't been able to go to or cooking up something for your family? Or what are you most looking forward to? <laughs> I want to go eat food in other cities again. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I've been on the corporate side for a lot of years now, like 13, 14 years, and I've never been grounded for this long in my entire career. Mm. And I really, I truly do miss eating food in other cities. Mm. You know, I, I, and a, a little bit of it is is high end and, and fine dining. Like there's, you know, great restaurants in that regard. But like, I just miss experiencing other cities. There's so many great things to learn about the history of a city, where it came from, the ingredients, the influences, those sorts of things. Like I really appreciate that. And I love that that's part of my job. Um, so I, I most look forward to, to getting on a plane, sleeping in a hotel and eating food in another city. <laughs> I'm with you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think seeing peers though, seeing, seeing my friends in the industry and, and spending time with other chefs and, and suppliers distributors, whatever, anybody, farmers, you know, that was a really big part of my job and, and a, a part of my job that I really enjoyed. Like I love learning other people's perspectives mm -hmm. and their travel their journey, you know, how did they get here? And, you know, especially when you talk to, to other corporate chefs, like what are the challenges you guys have? You know, we're, we're growing very, very quickly. So we all, at some point, you know, if you're a, a chef of a larger chain than us, You've most likely been where I am. You sat in my seat. You were around for the change. What What did you do? How, how did you do things? Did you shift? Um, and you know, a lot of it is, you know, I, I want to stay true to how we've built this brand. I don't want to lose any of that just because we have 500 or 600 or 800 restaurants. I I don't want that to ever be a reason that we dumb down the menu or choose a different product or or try and pinch pennies here and there. Like it 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 really is important to me to maintain um you know this culinary strategy that i worked so hard to to secure here early on so what's next for first watch is there any talk of a fast casual spinoff <laughs> yeah there's always there's always talk right um we actually have a concept called sun and fork by first watch uh it's one unit it's in nashville right off of vanderbilt's campus and you know so we, we've had that brand for well over a year now and it's it's exciting and it's fun. We're playing in that space. We're testing a bunch of different approaches to the menu. That menu has first watch flair, um, but as a fast casual spot, you know, the options are scaled back a little bit and the focus is, is a lot more on bowls and handhelds. Um, 
the students in that area, the, the people working in the office building and living in the apartments around there, they really love the approach. So um, we're excited to, to see how we evolve that brand. We you know, don't necessarily have the next locations picked out or anything like that, but it really is, you know, it was an opportunity that we had in front of us and, and we, we wanted to seize that opportunity. Um, and it's been a lot of fun to play in that space. Um, it's an interesting world, that's for sure. It certainly lends itself to, to off-premise, you know, very, very smooth transition in that regard. So um, you can expect to see us exploring a little bit more in that world. Thanks so much for sharing your story, Shane. Please join us for the next episode of Menu Feed as we explore trends that are impacting menus right now.